So over the past few weeks together, we've been kind of looking at some of the miracles of Jesus together. And I hope it's been kind of a refreshing thing for you to realize and to um, remind yourself of just the incredible power of Jesus and his desire to serve and help our lives and the ways that we can depend upon um, um, him. We're going to look at another story today together in Mark, in the book of Mark. And in in just a minute, we're going to get there. But I, I do want to tell you this. So moving to North Carolina has introduced us to some new things, some things that you just don't have in other parts of the world. And one of those things that we had never known existed, never tasted, never even heard or had before was cheer wine. Yeah, y'all like that stuff, don't you? So I gotta, I gotta tell you a funny story how we were introduced to it. So when we came in view of a call uh, back in uh, November um, or whenever it was, we, we went into the hotel room first and there was this big gift basket uh, that was put together laying there with all sorts of just different stuff. And we were going through it and Hayden, our second son said, Dad, look at this. They got us wine. <laughs> and I was like, what kind of church is this? This is not like most First Baptist churches. So, I mean, he was ready to pop it off and just start drinking. So, oh, time out, time out. So we looked at it. I was like, what is this? Like, I've never, never in my life heard of cheer wine. So I'm looking at it. And sure enough, it's non-alcoholic. So kids, you're welcome to have it. They drink it. They love it. I mean, they have abandoned Dr. Pepper, the state drink of Texas and stuff. They just love, love cheer wine. So this point, this story really does have a point. Um, uh, so I guess it was a week or so ago. Um, I mean, we, we always have a supply now, now of cheer wine in our house. And um, Hadley came walking up to Kyla, and we had a major crisis on our hands. In her hands, she had an empty two-liter bo- liter bottle of cheer wine. And she said, Mom, we've run out of cheer wine. And Kyla said, well, th- that's okay. Um, we'll get more sometime later. And she said, maybe we can ask Jesus to turn water into cheer wine. <laughs> so we're getting something out of this uh, miracle thing in our own family. I hope you are um, as well. Hey, you know, listen, miracles, miracles and the miracles of Jesus are not just neat things, not just spectacular and amazing things and stories that we look at and just love the Bible for because we see uh, just superhuman things being taken. They're not just neat things. Listen, miracles are necessary things. We need the power and intervention of Jesus in our lives. Without the power and intervention of Jesus, listen, we can't handle it. We cannot make it. We cannot get through life. We need the supernatural in our lives. Because the truth of the matter is, no matter how strong you are or how weak you are, no matter how old you are, how young you are, life will throw too much at you. You will go down roads. You will walk down paths. Your life will take you on a journey that the truth of the matter is, you cannot handle. You're at your wit's end. You're overwhelmed. Every single one of us. Can we just be honest this morning? That we get there. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. This is beyond me. This is beyond my experience. This is beyond my education. This is beyond anything I know. I'm not sure what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know how we're going to handle this. If you're not willing to admit that about your life, and if you're not willing to come to those places and points where you realize you can't do it, then you're so unlike so many people in the Scriptures. 
Because time and time again, the story of the Bible and the story of the Word is that you can't handle it. You and I need to rely and depend upon the power and intervention of Jesus. So we come to a story this morning, like so many other stories in Mark um, chapter 9, where a father was overwhelmed. A father was facing a situation he couldn't handle. He didn't know what to do. But it's not just the father. We see Jesus' own disciples in a situation that's beyond their capacity, that they're overwhelmed by, where they felt like they were like a guy who had brought a knife to a gunfight. They can't handle it. They're outpowered, they're outweighed, and they have no idea what to do. And it's at that moment that Jesus comes on the scene. If you would draw your attention to Mark 9, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. And if you would stand in honor of God's word, Jesus has just come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, an incredible moment of his glory just shown to just a few disciples. And he comes down from the mountain and there is all sorts of commotion at the foot of the mountain when he comes down. Look at this in verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what what are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they were not able. You can be seated this morning. We're going to read the rest of the story and walk through that. There's four statements in this story that I want you to notice. This is a unique, unique moment. Jesus comes down from the mountain with just a few disciples. I don't know what they were expecting to come down to, but when they come down to, from the mountain, there is a surprising scene. Obviously, there were crowds around because that was just the state of Jesus. Everywhere he went, there were crowds. And so there was a crowd gathered there. But in the midst of the crowd, something that we don't see anywhere else is there, there's an argument taking place, uh, a fight going on in a sense. And it's, it's the disciples that didn't go up on the mountain And the scribes who are always trying to trip up Jesus. And so while Jesus is up on the mountain, something's happened that's caused a major infraction and major argument between these two people. And they get caught in it. Jesus comes on and he sees and he notices the argument taking place. These these disciples are basically pushed up against the mountain in a sense, trying to defend themselves against whatever arguments are taking place. Then the crowd rushes in. And so it's just all this commotion, this massive crowd, and Jesus is kind of like, time out, time out. Whoa, whoa. Let's start one thing at a time. Um, Why are you arguing? Parents, you know the feeling. You walk in the room. You hear something commotion upstairs or something like that. You go up there and your kids are just at it. And the first, what's going on? Why are you arguing? And neither side wants to say anything. The disciples are not saying anything. The scribes are not saying anything. And so the dad, this man comes forward, it says, and says, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute. Now, just another thing about that. I'm a parent. Many of you are parents. I don't know why the guy's complaining about that part. If you've got a teenage child, 
But it went beyond that because we see that this was, this was a unique kind of spirit. It wasn't just something that did not allow him to talk. It seizes him. It throws him down. He foams. He grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. And then we see what the problem was. And this is the first statement that I want you to make note of. It just jumps off the page. I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able they were not able. Now, at first glance, that may not seem that significant to you because, of course, they're, they're just disciples. They're just humans. Jesus has been the one that's been doing all the miracle. But if you rewind back to Mark chapter 6, you'll remember that Jesus had given his disciples power to do the same things that he was doing. He had sent them out to preach the gospel, to tell of the kingdom of God. And it also tells us that he had given them power to heal and to cast out demons. And so from that time forward, the ministry of Jesus is a 12-fold ministry because his disciples are also doing some of the same things he's doing. They're preaching the gospel, they're teaching of the kingdom of God, and they're also casting out demons and healing people. You fast forward to the book of Acts, and the disciples, the apostles, continue to do that very same thing. So it's not like these guys were foreign to this. It's not like they hadn't done this before. No, these guys were in the business just like Jesus, whom they were following, of doing the miraculous as well. They had seen it happen. They had done it. They had taken place. Jesus goes up on the mountain, and they begin to continue the ministry. But this one stops them, and they could not do it. A major fail for these followers of Jesus. An embarrassing moment. They can't handle it. They can't do it. Jesus has got to come in and rescue them and save them. And I don't know what was going through their minds, how embarrassed they must have been. Just notice that they don't say anything in this situation until the very end of the story, which is a picture of the fact that they were ashamed. They had obviously tried to do something, but could not. And I think that the reason they could not is because these disciples had tried to do it the way they'd always done it and on their own strength. Their own power, their own experience, their own prior success of the past, and they could not handle the moment. And I ultimately think this, the disciples' failure was a result of their faithlessness. Listen, their faithlessness to depend fully upon the power of Jesus. What Jesus was going to show them in this story is, listen, you, you can't live like that. When I'm not here, I think Jesus is showing them, you're not going to be able to think. You can pull it off on your own. You're going to need to be dependent upon me for everything. Every spiritual miracle that the Lord ever does, everything we see, that depends upon the power of God, we must realize we cannot do it on our own. We need Him. And these men are caught up in a moment 
where their own success, their own experience, their own power, their own knowledge, their own walking with Jesus for two and a half so years, they couldn't handle it. You know, we struggle with this all the time. Before you point the finger at the disciples, I want you to understand that I struggle with this all the time. That so oftentimes when I come to moments and places of challenge and of difficulty, when I'm not really sure what to do or this seems like a really tough situation or scenario, oftentimes my first go-to is I need to be stronger. I need to be tougher. I can do it. I can get through this. I've done it before. I can do it again. In Texas, we have a statement. I got to pull myself up, myself up by my own bootstraps. Like I just got to buckle down, hammer down, keep going, keep pressing, and I'll get through this. Rather than depending upon God, you know what we so often do? We depend upon us. And rather than leaning and falling upon him and saying, I can't handle this, I need the miraculous, I need your power, I need your help, I need you to intervene, we, we depend upon ourselves. We lean upon self-reliance. I think the problem of Mark 9 and the problem with these disciples is they had done just that. They had leaned upon the way it always was, what they'd always done, their own experience. I'll bring the boy with the demon-possessed kid. Muteness. We'll take care of it. We've done it before. Even though Jesus is not here, we can handle this. And here they are. Our struggle to depend upon God is a sign of faithlessness. Our quickness to depend upon ourselves and our things, our resources, our experience, anything of us, is not just the way that humanity works. Listen, it is a sign of faithlessness. And this faithlessness pours over to the Father. The disciples can't do it. In verse 19, Jesus says, and he calls them on it, their faithlessness. And he answered them, O faithless generation! How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Which exposes right there. That was the problem with the disciples, their faithlessness. And so, verse 20, they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth, almost as if the spirit knew what he was around. The demon knew exactly who he was dealing with now. He wasn't just dealing with some disciples or apostles. He wasn't just dealing with people. He was dealing with the Almighty. He was dealing with the commander of all armies. And here we are. He's freaking out, basically. He's, he's, he begins to convulse the boy, throw him on the ground, roll him around. And Jesus asked the question, how long has this been happening to him? And the dad says, well, from childhood. And it's often cast him into the fire, into the water to destroy him. And then listen to the father. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and, and help us. If you can do anything, like certainly something could be done. And, and if you have the ability, if you have the power, we would love for you to help in, in case you can. This father was hopeless. 
This father was at a place where there's nothing he could do. He had come to the place of hopelessness. He'd come to the place where he didn't, he didn't know what to trust. He didn't know what to rely upon. And here he's before Jesus Christ, and he doesn't even really know, he doesn't even really believe that he can do anything. If there's anything he can do. The doctors couldn't do anything. The priests couldn't do anything. The synagogue couldn't do anything. Your disciples couldn't do anything. If you can do anything. You see, when we operate without faith, we operate in hopelessness. You can either get to hopelessness in two ways. You can start there, which so many people do. An impossible situation comes up. And all of a sudden, it's immediate despair and depression. You realize, I can't handle this. I can't do this. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. There's no way they can help me. And we get on this pity party rope. We just can't handle it. We don't know what to do. Poor me. And we despair and we depress to hopelessness. But the other way you get there is by self-reliance. I can do it. I can make it. I can get through it. Well, you know where that ends up taking you? You can't. And you won't admit it. And so you're hopeless. A lack of faith leads us to a lack of hope, hopelessness. Second statement I want you to see is what Jesus says next. First one was they were not able. Second one is this. What Jesus says in verse 23 in response. Jesus said to him, if you can. I love that statement of Jesus. You know, he's, he's so like, sometimes, I mean, he's so tenderhearted, he's so kind, but sometimes he's so like in your face. Like Jesus said some hard stuff. And here, this is one of those statements where he's just calling them on something. You know, this, this dad and his despair and his hopelessness and his, his Lord, if, if there's anything you can do. And Jesus says, if I really do not realize who I am, if I can, if, if I can. And then what does he say? Listen, all things are possible for those who believe. What Jesus is saying here, listen, I could do anything. Do you not realize who you're talking to? Do you not realize who you're standing before? Do you not realize who you're doing, dealing with? The meek and mild Jesus is like, I'm the man. I got this, bro. This is nothing for me. If, if, if I can, what's wrong with you? If I can? Let's just pause here. It's almost kind of comical. Until we forget that he can. Until we forget that there's no situation, there's no dilemma, there's no problem, there's no diagnosis. That he can't. Every road you go down, every moment of despair, every tear that you shed, everything that you and I face and experience, he can. God has the capability and power to get you through it. God has the capability and power to handle it. And the sovereign God over all things is in control of it. If he can, if he can, there's nothing impossible with him. And then he tells us this, those who believe, for those who believe, nothing is impossible. Like, not only can I, there's a way you can experience it. You can have this. You can have the victory through it all. You can walk through it. There's not anything we face through Jesus Christ that we can't handle, that we can't get through. That's what he's saying here. If I can. Of course I can. Duh. 
And then in verse 24 is the third statement I want you to see. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. The father of the child realized something when he heard Jesus' words in verse 23. He realized, well, of course you can. But he confessed his problem. I, I do believe God. I do believe Jesus. I really do believe that you can. But I also got a lot of doubt. Help my unbelief. Now, I look at this and I think, what, a, what weak faith. Well, why not just say, I believe, and stop? But no, he says, help my unbelief. Like, I believe, but I'm really not all the way there just yet. It's weak faith. But listen, listen, listen. It's faith nonetheless. God never calls. And think about this. As you go through the pages of Scripture... Every book of the Bible, every chapter, every verse, God never calls for big faith from us. Little faith is sufficient. What he's looking for is not big faith or little faith. What he's looking for is real faith. You know, there's a lot of ways you could teach that. I've heard some people say that you have to have more faith. You, you have to have your faith get up to the point that it's the size of a grain of mustard seed. Or, or, or that, that, that you've got to really, really work at it. The more that your faith will grow, the more that you'll see, the more that your faith gets bigger and stronger and magnificent and all per pervasive, the more that you'll see happening. Listen, the Lord is not expecting you and I to become some person of great faith, of magnificent faith, of all per pervasive faith. He never teaches us that. Because if he did... You and I would have a really hard time getting this thing going in the Christian life. Because until you have great faith, until you have magnificent faith, until your faith is a certain size and a certain category and a certain distance, then you're not just going to be able to see anything from God. You, you can't have any of it. It's not, it's not the gospel. That's not the story of Jesus. Jesus teaches that it... All it takes is the faith, like as minuscule as a grain of mustard seed. Because it's not the size of your faith or the depth of your faith or the length of your faith or how long you've had that faith. It's the size and depth and power of the one your faith is placed in that matters. Jesus gives us a model of that. You know who that model is? This dad. Who in honesty says, I, I believe, but I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. I, I believe, but my faith is, my faith, I've got it. I've got some faith, God. I've got some faith, Jesus. But, but at the same time, my faith is mixed with some fear. My faith is mixed with some doubt. And my faith is mixed with some anxiety and some worry. And my faith, is, it's not what it, what it could be. It's not what it should be. It's not where I want it to be. Oh, Lord, run to the rescue of my weak faith. Help my unbelief. This guy is us. This guy is me. In every circumstance that's beyond me, in every circumstance beyond you, this guy is you. 
And what Jesus shows us, that all that is, you have sufficient faith. You have sufficient faith where you are because the God that you serve and the one you put your faith towards is bigger than what you lack. And so the miracle happens. Jesus begins to move through the miracle. In verse 25, we see him when Jesus saw the crowd, they came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit saying, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, he came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus looked and said, took the hand, lifted him up and he rose him. And uh, when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately. And so finally the disciples speak up. They kept silent in embarrassment. And so when they're private now, they ask him a question. And that question leads us to the last statement I want to draw your attention to. Jesus, why, why couldn't we cast him out? Why didn't it work? Why didn't we succeed? Why did we fail? How come you and not me? And Jesus said this to them. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. That's the last statement. So the four statements. They were not able, if I can, I believe, help my unbelief. And this last statement, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? What does it mean, this kind? What kind? I mean, what is Jesus speaking of? Is he speaking of, the word is genos, and it's where we get our word species. Uh, this kind of, what, what specific, this kind of spirit or this kind of unclean spirit. What kind was this? Was it just the ones that make us mute? Or the ones that make us foam at the mouth? I mean, what, what is, I think what Jesus is referring to is this, maybe all of them. That all of these sort of beings, these, these fallen angels, this demonic, you will never be able to command on your own. I think what Jesus is telling his disciples is this. Hey, guys, there is a realm and there is a world that money can't fix that experience can't touch, that power of humanity has no power over. This kind you cannot do on your own. This kind you can't handle on your own. This kind only comes, only is dealt with through prayer. What Jesus is saying is, listen, you are going to have to depend upon me what you're fighting, what you're facing, what you're dealing with, you have to depend upon me. And if you don't depend upon me, you will not make it. You will not defeat it. You will not win. That kind, this kind, you can't do without me. And so what Jesus is saying, listen, you got to depend upon me. And prayer is the highway that faith takes into the power of God. Prayer is the highway faith takes into the power of God. The point that Jesus is making here is this. You want the power of God? 
You want to depend upon the power of God? Well, the avenue that you must take is prayer. Your faith has to travel through prayer. Point is that we can't handle it. So much is beyond us. And the only way to get through it, the only way to deal with it, the only way to succeed through it is to grab hold of the power of God. And the only way you grab hold of the power of God is by faith through prayer. It was funny is that so often, not just we as people, but also we as the church, we, we, don't, we don't look at prayer except for like as a last resort. Like once we've tried everything, well then, well then we need to pray. That's all, we, I guess all we can do is pray. At least we have prayer. You know, we, we oftentimes look at prayer as Christianity, the world kind of does, and kind of looks at Christianity and prayer as, as kind of like a crutch. You know? It's just, it's just for those people that just, they don't want to deal with reality. They don't want to deal with life. They just need the crutch of prayer. They just need the crutch of Jesus, the crutch of Christianity to lean upon. And I don't need that. Hey, man, I, I got common sense. I got education. I got money. I got people. I, I can handle that. I can deal with it. And, and man, that's just kind of for those people that just don't want to deal with reality. They don't want to deal with logic. They don't want to deal with, with reality. And so they, they lean upon faith or Christianity. But the truth of the matter is it's not just the lost world that looks at it that way. It's you and I, too. So oftentimes we don't turn to prayer until we've exhausted all our resources and all our energy. We don't, we don't make our prayer requests known to people because we're ashamed and embarrassed that we're so weak. And we feel bad. We hesitate. I mean, we even do it in the way we pray. Like when you have something you really want to take before God, so oftentimes we prep him up. We butter him up first. Lord, you're amazing. Lord, you're awesome. Lord, you're wonderful. Lord, I know I haven't been talking to you a whole lot lately, and I know I haven't been to church a whole lot lately, uh, but I'm really going to try. I'm really going to work hard at it, and I just really need you to do something for me. Like we get around to it. Because we don't really understand power that's in it and we are so dependent upon ourselves Jesus says listen why don't you start here rather than just end up here because you're going to end up here anyway so start here because I got it I can handle it. I can do it. I can work through. This is simply a lesson, not about how to cast out demons, not about how to do miracles, not how, to, how about raise dead people or change the earth's surface. This is simply a lesson on how to access the power of God. And until you and I get to the place and point where we are dependent upon him and desperate for him and thirsty for him and needy of him and vulnerable before him, we will not access the power of God. Until we realize 
We cannot do it. We cannot, we must depend upon him. We will not experience the power of God. So as we step into application of this, I just want to begin with this, a little in-house application, First Charlotte. So if you're not a member of First Baptist Church Charlotte, you're off the hook for a moment. You can pull out your phone, look at Facebook for a second if you want to. We'll be back to you in just a moment. If you're a member of First Baptist Charlotte, listen. I think this is where Jesus wants us to be. I think this is where he wants to take us. Dependent, desperate, thirsty, vulnerable, and needy of him. Not relying upon our budget and the bills that supply that budget. Not relying upon our history. We've always made it through. We've always gotten through. We've always been a dynamic force in this community. Not relying upon our pastor. Boy, are you in for a mess if you're relying upon your pastor. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you you're dumb. Listen, we will not make a difference in this world, and we will not make a difference in Charlotte, and we will not survive as a church if we are dependent upon anything other than God. Not upon our money, not upon our resources, not upon our deacons, not upon our pastor, not upon our history, not upon our building, not upon our presence, not upon any of that stuff, none of that stuff. Listen, we will end up empty unless we depend and realize that without the hand of God, without the movement of God, we will not make it through. We will not make a difference. So First Baptist Charlotte, I think what God wants us to do is get hungry for him and get needy for him and desire what only he can do through us. Because listen, you and I cannot reach people. You and I cannot change a person's life. The power of God goes way further than any flyer or any invitation or anything else we can do. We want to access the power of God. Listen, it only comes through prayer. Faith through the avenue of prayer. This is how you, this is how you experience salvation. You only get salvation through faith. And how do you take that faith to the source of salvation. Prayer. You ask, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. Highway of faith to the power of God. Sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life only comes through the avenue of prayer as we seek him, as we ask him to accomplish his goals in our lives, to make us more like him. And it's the same with the kingdom work, the kingdom work of the Lord. It only happens through faith going down the avenue of prayer. I love what Vance Pittman said. We don't pray before we work. Prayer is the work. And then God works. We can't ever approach kingdom ministry from a human standpoint, from the strength of men. 
Every spiritual miracle, we need the power of God. When it comes to evangelism, yes, we're to be faithful, to share, but ultimately we have to trust in the power of God and ask God to work through the words of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save a person's heart. We cannot do that. We can share the gospel every single day, in every conversation, at every moment, but unless Jesus Christ penetrates that person's heart, reveals the truth of their sin to their life, and saves them, we cannot do it. We cannot do it. I cannot do it. We got to defend not upon the cleverness of our presentation or our programs or our buildings or our whatever it is. We have to depend upon the power of God. And the Lord shows us and the Lord shows these disciples who'd walk with him for two and a half years that, listen, even this new believer who hadn't been with Jesus at all, never met him before that day, who had the very beginning of faith, that if he exercised that little faith, and had enough faith in that little faith to bring down the power of God. That's a hard lesson to learn if you're a disciple. If you've been around Jesus that long, and he's telling you, hey, this stranger who never met me before was able to call down my power because of faith through prayer. Do you remember what James said? You have not because you ask not. If you have the faith as small as this dad's faith, belief mixed with doubt, and you take that faith on the highway of prayer to the power of God, you will see God do many amazing and mighty things in our lives. And we will see God do many amazing things in our church. A very small amount of struggling faith can draw us into God dependently, trustingly, cause God's power to be released to do even his will through our lives. It's an incredible lesson for us who live by faith. And here's the application, period. It's only going to happen through prayer. I didn't say that. Yeah, Jesus said that. Jesus said that. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? Prayer. He didn't say money. He didn't say church attendance. He didn't say really, really good strategies and programs. He said prayer. So why don't we take prayer more seriously? Why is it just like an addendum to our stuff that we do as a church? And it's not just you or me. It's like every church in America. Like, just think about it. The least attended service in the church is the prayer meeting. No. Where were you on Wednesday night? It's just not something that we're really that big about. It's not something that we really take seriously. It's something we do before we go to sleep, something we do before we eat, something we do to open up a service or close a service out. But what great power of God we're missing out on 
Because we don't take it more seriously and understand that this is the highway, this is the avenue to access the power of God. It's only going to happen by prayer. Why do we feel, why do we feel that we need something more? You know, as a pastor, sometimes I feel so inadequate. Like there's so many things that are brought before me and I'm like, I need to give you something to help you. Like you bring your kid who's in a mess and I'm, I, I feel like, you, you, like it's my job to help you navigate through that or there's a crisis in your life and thank goodness we have a great pastor who can guide us through that, that crisis and get us through all of that. I've always really felt really inadequate to just say, well, I can pray for you. Well, that's not what we pay you for. Fix it. When the truth of the matter is, that's the most powerful thing this church can do for you. Amen. I want you to understand that where God wants to get us as a church and where God wants to get you as an individual will only happen by prayer. And until we take that seriously, until we believe in the God on the other side of that prayer and take our faith through the avenue of prayer, we will not see his power. It only happens by prayer. Some of you parents in this room are at your wits end with your kids. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to get through. You don't know how to fix it. It only happens through prayer. Some of you couples have no idea how you're ever going to get back to where you were or how you can bring reconciliation. It only happens by prayer. Some of you are facing difficult circumstances, circumstances that doctors don't know the answers to, that are overwhelming to you. It only happens by prayer. And there is a lost and dying world outside the doors of these church that walk past here every day and don't even notice us. It only happens by prayer. Let's pray.